Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, we got to talk about this CHIP Act. You've heard about it, you've seen it, you've seen the acronym. We all know that legislation named something doesn't mean that's what's in the legislation. So we're going to dig into it, turn the noise down on it. We're going to go to Danielle Zanzalari, another one of our great Young Voices contributors. She's an economist and academic up in Seton Hall. Uh, she's based out of New Jersey, used to be at the Fed, but we're not going to hold her against her for the purposes of this conversation. How are you, my friend? Glad to have you on the program. I'm doing well. How are you this Monday? Fantastic. Love Mondays. Uh, let's just start with the nomenclature. Let's get everybody on the same page. Like we said, legislation is coming fast and furious right now. So people may have a hard time catching up with what is what. What is the CHIP Act? What was it supposed to do? And what did the text of the bill actually wind up doing in a nutshell before we start digging into this thing? So as you mentioned, um, the acts aren't always exactly what they're designed to be or said to be. CHIP stands for semiconductors, but uh, more specifically, creating helpful incentives to produce semiconductors for America Act. It provides free money, $52 billion worth of subsidies and tax credits for semiconductor firms to expand their business in the United States, uh, specifically the manufacturing business. But the problem is most of these firms that are going to be receiving this money already started expanding in the United States in 2020 and 2021. In fact, Intel actually had a plant that they were um, breaking ground on and starting in Ohio, but stopped and claimed that they didn't have enough money to finish this unless Congress gave them money. That's not because they actually don't have the money to finish this, but they actually um, could kind of smell that, you know, Congress is willing to give out some free money. So this was kind of a lobbying chip. So big companies like Intel, Texas Instruments, and um, other large companies that are already investing in the U.S. are going to be the primary beneficiaries of this money. Yeah, and we need to talk about, because one of our core principles on this program is things don't happen in a vacuum, they happen in a sequence. So we need to discuss why Intel's pushing this sort of thing and other chip makers. We know what's going on in the world. We saw what happened in Taiwan. We know the mess with China. They kind of have a big hand in this. So yes, the argument is let's get this back on shore. The other part of that is, there's already regulation on who can and can't make chips because it can't go to China because the way we stack this stuff. So all that's going on in the background here, and that's driving the push here of, well, we want domestic chip production. But that also means these companies like Intel, look, this ain't like a mom and pop shop during COVID that needs a handout, right? They're seeing an opportunity going like, oh, well, we need to do this. So let's make sure all that money funnels to us. There's multiple streams going on here at once, isn't there? Yes, there's kind of two arguments here or economic arguments that um, 
They were essentially making the first one being an infant industry argument saying, hey, we're too small to compete with China. We need some help to bring manufacturing here. That is absolutely a lie. Intel is the biggest chip maker in the world. They make about $20 billion a year in profit, which is equivalent to the GDP of some small countries like Jamaica. So, I mean, you have this really large corporation saying, I can't compete with China, even though they are 64% bigger than China's largest semiconductor firm. Um, so that's kind of a bold-faced lie. And the second argument that a lot of chip makers were making um, is the security argument. What if China stops you know, providing their, their chips to uh, our firms here, our technological firms that need a chip. You know, everything nowadays needs a chip in it, whether it's cars or computers. So if China stops working with us, how can life go on? That's kind of the argument they were making to lobbyists, um, excuse me, lobbyists were making to Congress. And um, it was kind of a scare tactic because the truth is the we were already manufacturing chips in the U.S. and there's already the private incentives that exist to manufacture these chips here because as mentioned, we need them for everything. So we already were bringing these uh, chip making manufacturing um, abilities onshore. What's the ratio to scaremongering to issue? Because one thing and the and the legitimate argument they do have is China's not a fair competitor. We know they don't practice fairly. We know they don't do free trade. We know they cheat. We know intellectual property stuff. We also know China has, you know, 750 million people as a workforce pretty much under the thumb of the government. So they're not wrong about that part of it, but these are American companies. And like you said, they have incentives here. Kind of give us a ratio here because yes, China's a problem, but that doesn't mean we need to change everything here just for that one thing for these companies, right? Right. There's kind of two facets here. Regardless of whether this was passed or not, we don't um, make enough silicone in the U.S. It's not a raw material that just happens to be here. A lot of that raw material is concentrated in East Asia. Um, so China does happen to be uh, a main uh, taker from the, taker from the ground. I'm, I'm missing the word here of silicone as well as Russia. China, uh, excuse me, the U.S. can actually get some silicone from our land, but not much. So we still depend on China regardless for this. So we need the base good of silicone. Um, but another fact here, which, uh, you know, you seem to indicate like how much fear mongering is going on. Well, with this act, the new projections are that the U.S. will be the number one chip manufacturer in the world in the next five to 10 years. So it wasn't like, you know, the funny argument, it's not like this bill all of a sudden made, made us number one. We already were laying the groundworks to be really competitive with China because there's already private interest to go ahead and invest in manufacturing in the U.S. Um, this is just kind of boosting that for those already big companies. Yeah, Danielle Zanzalari joining us. Okay, but we know this from history. When we do a big bill like this with a big government intervention, we're putting, you know, even the proponents of it are like, yeah, we're the government's putting their thumb on the scale here. Down the road, is this going to cause a new set of problems, not just solving the ones they purport to fix? Because this is a lot of money going to a very small funnel of companies. Yeah, you're exactly bringing up my main concerns as an economist, that too much power is still being concentrated in just a few companies. What would have been better is giving money, if they want to give money to this industry, to truly infant industries, up and coming competitors, startups that, you know, can co go ahead and compete with Texas Instruments and Intel and um, my um, other micro chip companies, because the more competition there are, uh, the lower the prices are to consumers and to, you know, to whatever product these chips are going into. Yeah. Now this, 
let's let's go a little big picture here. Let's zoom out for a second and we'll come back. This is a bigger argument in the whole tech sector right now. Like we know Microsoft started in a garage. We knew Amazon started in a garage. We've heard those stories. You're not making semiconductor chips on this level in your garage. This isn't something that's going to be an emerging industry. But you keep talking about an infant industry. Are they really that concerned about competition or a new model or whatever the next big thing is? When you're talking infant industries, if the big companies are worried about infant industries and one hand claiming to be one on the other hand, making sure they don't create any more of them, that's an economic problem on a bigger scale, isn't it? And we see a lot of that in tech right now. You know, Facebook does that with competitors. There's a lot of other examples. Why is that a big deal to an economist when you start talking about the long-term health of the economy in a sector like this? Yeah, great points and great question. Um, one thing is that these uh, companies like Intel and Texas Instruments are not actually saying they are infant industries because I think even the media would laugh at them, but that is actually the argument that they're making, that they need this help from the United States government in order to kind of run with China, kind of like an infant, you need to kind of assist them before they can go off and, and run on their own. Um, so this is an argument they like to make, but then they also kind of like to crush the actual true infant industries by getting this $52 billion in subsidies that are going to be primarily uh, for companies that already exist. These companies are going to be getting bigger, which makes it harder for the small company to come in and actually compete um, and have any sort of market power in negotiating contracts and getting workers and actually starting up. So as you mentioned, like tech, these big companies get bigger and it's much harder for small entrants to kind of come in. Let's talk on a personal level real quick, because, you you know, you do economics, you understand we get into theory and we get into really big numbers and people start, you know, their eyes roll in the back of their head. You already talked about this. So let's let's bring it back up. Intel was building a plan in Ohio and then stopped because of part of this. This is how much of this is them doing it and how much of it was a tactic. 100% tactic. I mean, I can't say, you know, for certainty, but let's be honest, Intel made $20 billion last year. And I mean, that's, that's profit. That's not a, that's not market cap, right? So they are huge. They have money to build a manufacturing firm. They have cash on hand. They can get debt services to build a manufacturing plant and they already had those in place. So stopping their uh, building was completely a tactic to scare politicians. And I mean, why wouldn't politicians kind of want to play ball? Intel has a major uh, lobbyer, the Semiconductor Industry Association, which is quite large, lobbying on their behalf. I mean, look, when this CHIPS Act was passed this past week, who is sitting right next to President Biden um, on the announcement of this? The CEOs of all the largest companies. Why? Because, of course, they're delivering a huge win to shareholders that, hey, they got billions of free dollars to do what they were already doing anyway. Yeah. And I think maybe the comparison for folks that maybe aren't on the economic or the high tech side, this is what we see with sports stadiums. And this is what we see with sports teams. Mm -hmm. And the argument they made is, well, we're going to have a we're going to have a resurgence in the heartland of tech. Well, that's happening already. Pittsburgh's having that. The Lehigh Valley, you know, outside of Philadelphia, they're getting that, you know, old steel towns and they're getting those high tech things. That's happening anyway. Is there really a need for the government to jump in and push this, something that's already happening organic? I know powers that be are going to want to steer it. Look, I'm a West Virginian. I'm old enough to remember Robert C. Byrd. I got to drive by 30 things with his name on it to go home. I get it. You know, power's trying to funnel the money. But economically and in the long run, is this healthy? Absolutely not. I mean, 
Uh, economists like to talk about opportunity costs, but what else could that $52 billion or tax credits go to? I mean, um, education's been a huge topic in every state, especially over the last few years. $52 billion could give each state um, a, a little over a billion dollars. For some states, like my home state, that's 10% of New Jersey's budget. Even in a state as big as Texas, that's 5%. You could increase Homeland Security by 15%, which we know is kind of busting at the seams, or fit, fix roads. Um, in states and actually just directly give money to states, not for, you know, interstate highway and that sort of commerce, but actual state roads. This money could have been used for so many more practical uh, things that that this is really just a push for uh, large companies to get a handout. And I believe Bernie Sanders um, said this, uh, he called it crony capitalism. And you know, it's not often that I always agree with Bernie Sanders, but he's absolutely right here. It's large companies getting a handout that they did not need, uh, but that Congress was willing to to lend out. Yeah, talking to Danielle Zanzalari, we're going to continue to talk about this. We're going to dig into this just a little bit more, talk about the economy in general. Also, uh, when Hertel returns right after this short break, Danielle Zanzalari joining us right after this. Hi, welcome back to Herd Tell. Danielle Zanzalari joining us. Uh, she's from Seton Hall. She does economics. She does all kinds of smart things. She wrote this piece about the CHIP Act. Listen, we do what we always do. We link to it in the show notes. Read the whole thing for yourself, including the links that she put in there. Make sure you make up your own mind on this topic. Let, let's talk about one thing we were just discussing in a little bit more detail. The Intel CEO, when they pass this bill, first thing this guy says is, oh, now we can spend money on building this factory in Ohio. We just talked about it. We are, uh, I'm going to read him the quote here. Um, we are thrilled to see the funding for the CHIPS Act. Intel is committed to restoring end-to-end -end leadership, innovation, and manufacturing here in the U.S. We are doing our part in the federal. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Government has now done their part. What in the world is end-to-end -end leadership innovation manufacturing? Is he is he just blatantly saying we would like to have a monopoly on this section sector of industry? Because that I found that quote just absolutely mind-boggling. It's like, dude, you're saying the quiet part out loud here. I also could call it like word vomit, right? They're just using these buzzwords to kind of appeal to the media and people that don't, you know, don't quite understand. Uh, most economists were not happy with this particular act. But of course, you see media cheering like, yes, right. We know we can't get, you know, adequate chips in our cars. Cars have downgraded the um, amount of equipment. And then, you know, all these cars are now high tech. But over the last two years, due to the chip shortage, uh, some of these high-end tech features are not there. And so consumers are seeing this, oh, as a win, we can get these sorts of things back. But um, they're also taxpayers too. And from a taxpayer standpoint, this is a complete waste of money. Actually talk about the money because it's not fair to bash it unless we actually break it down. 
this particular piece of legislation of that billions that are going to Ohio specifically, 39 billion is for the manufacturing incentives. Okay. You know, infrastructure, get that. 2 billion for legacy chips used in automobiles and defense system. You already talked about that. We'll get to that in just a second. 13 billion in research and development and workforce development. That's a great government word for a slush fund. And 500 million to provide for international information, communications, technology, security, and semiconductor supply chain activities. Uh, I'm a supply chain and transportation guy by trade. That's also going to be a slush fund. Am I wrong here? No, <laughs> that last one had more words than what's probably going to be done in that whole $500 million. <laughs> probably. Now, I get it when, you know, I know we have to do missions like we talked about before. You know, you got to deal with Taiwan. You got to deal with China. That means, you know, local officials go over there and glad. I get all that. But this is what always happens with these kind of pieces of legislation is, yes, there's stuff that goes in there. And then you get the bloat and you got to work through the bloat. The problem here is when the bloats are directed not at just, you know, states or communities or municipalities, that's one thing. That's bad enough. This is directed at what you just said, one of the largest companies in the world. Shouldn't that bother people just on a basic level? Well, yeah, absolutely. And the thing about this is, is, you know, anybody can go look up how the size of Intel. I think it took me two minutes to prepare this piece to know the size. And I know that Intel is a very, very big company, but I don't know their net profit off the top of my head. $20 billion per year of net profit, as mentioned, is as big as many small countries in the world. They are not small. They do not need money. And like, as your quotes, as the CEO that you just quoted from Intel said, hey, we're going to restore leadership and be kind of ahead again. I have no idea what that means. They are leading. They are the biggest chip manufacturer in the world. They are bigger than China's biggest manufacturer. They are number one. So they don't need to restore or get there. They are already there. And they already were moving uh, manufacturing back to the U.S. So this is just a complete power grab. Now, to be fair here, let's let's go back for a second, because we understand China. Again, they're not a fair player. They do not deal fairly with us. Talk about it for just a second, because underneath a lot of the economic stuff last few years, it's kind of gotten lost. It poked up in the headlines once or twice. The chip shortage is a real thing, especially in the automotive industry. We saw it also things like home appliances, like washer and dryers that now need chips, things like that. This was a real problem the last two years, and it was one of those things that COVID kind of really ripped a scab off of something that was already a little bit of a wound, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that focuses not just on the manufacturing part that was shut down, um, and that was shut down right in China um, and other parts of the world, but it was also about the ac getting actual silicone out of the ground. And that we cannot change with this bill. As mentioned, silicone is not is not mainly found in the United States. It's found um, in East Asia. And so we have to work with those partners regardless of where we manufacture. And that, that fact's not going to change. You talked about uh, Senator Sanders, which everybody has an opinion on Bernie at this point. <laughs> Is there bipartisanship anywhere in this other than the fact that they shoved it through? Is it just all, well, this is a great way to funnel money. I, I get the feeling sometimes, especially on the Senate side of things, where sometimes they just let things go because they know, well, well, my constituency might be up next, right? So, yeah, this one went to Ohio, but the next one may go to my constituency. Is there an element to that when you're an economist and you start looking at this legislation of even the merits of just one-on-one, -on -one, they're just kind of slow to want to stop something that they may be the next person up at the trough at? Or is that too harsh? 
I mean, that might be true, but this act was very bipartisan. 64-34 in the Senate, 243 to 187. So you even had 24 Republicans vote for this in the House. It's not just um, a majority bill that was passed through. Having 64 senators vote for anything nowadays is is quite high. You're almost getting veto-proof power there. Um, and I mean, that's 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 pretty high. So I don't know if this is just, uh, this is going to annoy uh, constituents enough to to not vote for them. But I think that um, many of these politicians are, are probably in cahoots with some of these uh, these chip companies and, and have some vested interest in them. Yeah. OK. Grown folk talk time. Besides the crony <laughs> capitalism part of this, how much of this is just good old fashioned uh, be scared of China? Again, bad actor, horrible human rights abuses. They are an adversary at best, an enemy or worse on the global stage at the same time. Are they getting waved around a lot to get some policy passed here? Is that a big factor here? No, you hit the nail on the head. Exactly. I think that's why a lot of Republicans did end up voting for this bill, because they do want to be competitive with China. And as you mentioned, and I probably haven't said this at all yet, uh, China is not a fair actor when it comes to any economic policy. Um, and that that's true. And the, the need to actually manufacture in the U.S. is, is real and there. The only difference is that I don't think the government needed to assist in companies moving manufacturing over here. The incentives already exist. Why only manufacture in China when they can shut down on a whim and you can't do anything about it? Why only manufacture in China when they can take over your business or do something uh, that is very anti-competitive at a moment's notice? It doesn't make sense, which is why these American companies were already shifting operations to Europe and the United States. They do not need any government incentives to do that. They were already doing that from a private perspective. Danielle Zanzalari joining us. Okay, what's going to be the next step in this? They passed this bill, but this is a manufacturing infrastructure. It's going to be years before this thing puts out a single microchip or semiconductor. What's going to be the next argument on this front of argument? Because the chip shortage is still real. It's not getting any better. China's not getting any quieter. Taiwan's not getting any less you know, messy. What's going to be the next step here? Because this isn't going to be the end of this, isn't it? No, what I'd like to see as an economist would be to cut some of the regulation here so there can be more competition with new firms entering the semiconductor space. So as mentioned, cars very much need chips. I'd like to see some vertical integration with, you know, large car companies like Ford, Toyota, GM, actually going out and owning semiconductor firms and actually investing in those firms because they need them for their final product. Uh, but existing rules on vertical integration between uh, companies exist. And it would be nice if those could be lessened. They don't cost anything from a government perspective, from a taxpayer dollar perspective, but they can absolutely lead to more competition in the industry, driving down prices and increasing quantity. What's the economic impact of this sort of thing? Because chips are going to get more and more important. It's not like they're going to, you know, we're not going to de-technologically involve anytime soon, although some people will probably want us to. What's the economic impact of not having coherent and consistent policy when it comes to something like semiconductors and chips? Well, usually once you get a handout once, you come back looking for more, right? So uh, I think that the government's... Um, willingness to fund this industry. This is not going to be the first time semiconductor firms and the lobbying organization ask for this. So uh, with an ever increasing importance for chips for final goods, you're going to see companies going, I need more, I need more, I need more. I fully expect that. All right. Anytime we have an economist on, we got to ask him the question of the day. 
Where are you at on inflation and recession? Um, I am an economist that has always uh, taught two quarters of negative GDP growth. So I would say we are officially in a recession. Um, I do know that the definition is um, a little blurry that the MBER can call it. And I have very much respect for the MBER. But the problem with the definition, if you don't go with two quarters of negative GDP growth, is if they call recession in three months, four months, it's too late. Uh, you're calling it so beyond when the recession was that you couldn't have done anything to help it. Um, so I do think we're in a recession, um, at least from the standard definition. And I might uh, buck the trend on some of my fellow economists that like to go with this, but I do think we're in a recession. Uh, I, do I think this is the worst recession of my lifetime? Absolutely not. Do I think this is the worst inflation of my lifetime? Uh, yes. Uh, maybe that, that tends to, to my age, but uh it is quite high. I think a 0% month over month growth is good. I don't know if we peaked. A lot of economists say we're peaking. Um, I'd like to see inflation come down uh, as everybody would, but I think we're still going to be well over 5% for at least a year. Danielle, year over Danielle. year, year over year. Yeah, gotcha. Dan, you're not going to do the 0% this month because we didn't last month. We won't get into that funness. Uh, Danielle Zanzalari. All right. I've got to ask you a question because we always talk about turning down the noise because you know we live in a buzzword world. You were at the Fed, so you tell me. Everybody online loves to bash the Fed. You know, the Fed's the great evil. Abolish the Fed. You know, so salt, so it never grows back. What's the biggest misperception you see, both as an economist and somebody that was actually there, when people talk about the Fed, especially now when we're talking, you know, inflation control and things like this, which is in, you know, that's their purview. That's what they were designed to help control. They're going to be in the news a lot. What's one of the misperceptions you think people should probably get before they start smashing send on that tweet or Facebook post about the Fed? There's a lot of really, really smart economists, and there's a lot more banking professionals and non-economists running the Fed than you would think. And economists are there to advise and do research and support. But a lot of the key decision makers are not economists, and they don't have to listen to all of the advice of economists. And so I would say, um, I'm pro more economists at the Fed and less other administrators. I think the Fed, not that they don't deserve some criticism. I think they're like a lot of other things like education, like the military, um, like the rest of the government for that matter. There's what they do. And then there's the bureaucracy. And Absolutely. I think when you're, yeah, I think when you're discussing the Fed, it's just like the school system. It's just like the military, like everything else. Like, well, which one are we talking? Are we talking about the pointy end of the stick that, you know, defends us or teaches kids in the classroom? Or are we talking about the bureaucracy that's, you know, chewing it up and screwing everything up? Is that a fair way to address the Fed as well? Because really, yeah, it's, it has a function, but it's also a giant bureaucracy like everything else. And bureaucracy almost no, almost never improves anything, right? I mean, absolutely. It's it's the bloat in the bureaucracy of the Fed. It keeps growing in size, never usually reduces. Um, like I said, there's really smart people working there. I think, you know, getting a job at the Fed, it's, it's quite hard to do, but it's not necessarily hard to retain your job at the Fed or other government institutions, which, you know, is, is common knowledge. Um, I loved working there and the colleagues, like I said, they're really, really smart and I have great relationships with um, all of them, but, uh, and it is quite good. But as an economist, um, I definitely like uh, having a little bit less bureaucracy, not just, you know, in my workplace, but um, also just in government in general as a taxpayer. Danielle Zanzalari, uh, great stuff today. Loved having you. Until we get you back on Herd Tell again, let folks know where they can follow you and keep up with what you got going on. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at DZanzalari. So it's Z-A-N-Z-A-L-A-R-I. 
on Twitter. Happy to have a conversation with you there. Send me a DM. Um, love to keep talking to you. Yeah, she has her piece up at Center Square that we've been working off of. Passage of the CHIP Act is not economically smart. We have linked to it in the show notes. Make sure you read that entire piece in its entirety. Follow her, and we'll definitely have you back. Great stuff today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you, Andrew. Have a nice one. Yes, ma'am. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.